0: I appreciate uh, Zach this morning, the song selection. It's nice sometimes to get some of those old hymns, and I know that he has, a, he has a passion and loves those old hymns, and so I appreciate him when he brings some of those back up, and we're able to even uh, do almost the entire service with those old hymns. I, I know that a lot of you uh, folks appreciate those, and we appreciate the new songs. We appreciate the old songs as well, and uh, they're, all, they're all a blessing to us. I was a little concerned when, um, when Zach said that we were going to be Grace Baptist Church this morning because all we had was a piano and musicians. And I started looking through my Bible to find my Baptist sermon, but it's not there. So just, just, just kidding with you this morning. Um, join me, if you would, in, in your Bibles to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3. This is the 4th of July weekend and I'm not going to preach a 4th of July sermon or um, talk about our country or anything of that nature. Just, just a comment about, um, about the blessings that we enjoy and um, the way that God has blessed us as a people and the importance of the freedoms that we have to come together and worship the Lord and to be able to sit here this morning and worship him is a, a freedom that um, we should appreciate. And, and, and in addition to appreciating, take advantage of. And so I'm, I'm uh, thankful that you guys are here this morning and you're here to worship the Lord and you're here to hear um, his voice, here hear what he has to say to us so that we can all learn and grow um, closer to him. And so with that, let's, uh, let's read together, if you'll just follow along, in um, Hebrews chapter number 3. And we'll begin reading in verse number one. The scripture says, Therefore, holy brothers, you who share in a heavenly calling, consider Jesus, the apostle and high priest of our confession, who was faithful to him, who appointed him, just as Moses also was faithful in all of God's house. For Jesus has been counted worthy of more glory than Moses. As much glory as the builder of the house has more honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but the builder of all things is God. Now Moses was faithful in all God's house as a servant to testify to the things that were to be spoken later, but Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you for the um, freedom that we have to read it, to study it, and to come together to come together each week to worship you um, under its authority. We pray that you will be with us this morning in a special way. Lord, may your spirit move freely amongst us. If there's someone here that doesn't know you, As their Savior and their Lord, we pray, Lord, that you would bring about uh, submission in their hearts this morning and a change in their lives. We pray that you'd bless those that are here that are your children with um, understanding, with wisdom and application for what you have for them. We love you and thank you for all that you do and for who you are. In Christ's name, amen. A few things that you'll notice about chapter number two and chapter number three that are important to, to, to take note of, both of these chapters start with the word therefore, so you're going to revert back to the previous chapter to find out the the, the reason for the following passage of scripture. So, uh, for instance, in chapter number two, you start off with this um, caution not to drift away or to neglect the salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Uh, Both a a salvation eternally, which is the spiritual salvation that we experience, but also a salvation that is a daily salvation or, or a daily deliverance, a deliverance from our daily struggles and our daily difficulties. The reason we're not to neglect or to drift away from Christ or from this salvation is because of chapter number one, which tells us that God's word is more powerful and more significant than the word of the prophets, than the word of the apostles, and the word of the angels. In other words, there's, no, there's nothing that God has given us from a word perspective, from speaking to us, other than Jesus Christ through and in his word. And we can trust his word for salvation. We can trust his word for deliverance from struggles in our daily life. The scriptures tell us in Hebrews 4 that his word is powerful. It is living. It is alive. It is transforming. It is able to discern life and and right and wrong. The word of God is is, is significant in, in all aspects of life. So we're not to drift away or to neglect the word of God. If we drift away or neglect the word of God, we miss out on certain blessings or certain graces that come along with not neglecting the word of God. And the illustration that came to mind when I was preparing this message a few weeks ago as I preached it was the idea of neglecting your wife or neglecting your mate. You're still married to them, but if you neglect them, there are certain benefits or certain blessings that you lose, The same principle applies to our relationship or our walk with the Lord. When we neglect the Lord or when we walk away from the Lord or we we drift away from the Lord and his word, it doesn't mean that we're no longer in a relationship with him. It doesn't in any way impact our salvation, but it impacts our blessing. It impacts his power and influence in our lives. So because God's word is powerful, Because God's word is life-changing, because God's word is impactful in our lives, it's important that we don't drift away from it. It's important that we don't neglect it and that um, we need it daily. Amen? The Bible says, man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. So as much as we need physical food, we need spiritual food. As much as our body needs nourishment, our souls need nourishment. And so it's important that we don't neglect or drift away from the salvation and from the strength and the grace that come in Jesus Christ. In the following scripture, here in chapter number 3, we're admonished to consider the Lord Jesus Christ. We're admonished to consider the Lord Jesus Christ on the basis of the previous passage of scripture, which is chapter number 2. Chapter number 2 And the admonishment that we have here is based upon the fact that Jesus Christ has suffered before us. He has died in our place and resurrected. Amen? Okay? That's a powerful truth. The Bible tells us that the, the power of Christ's resurrection now lives inside of us. So he has died before us, resurrected from the grave three days later, and the Bible says that he was tempted in all ways as we are tempted The Bible says, yet without sin, or in other words, he did not fall or fail in any of the temptations that he faced. So it makes all the sense in the world. I I wrote this thought down as I was going through this. I was like, it's kind of a no-brainer to think about the term that the Lord uses here, consider Christ, if you're considering Christ on the basis of all the things that he's accomplished. In other words, there's nothing that you will face in life, there's no difficulty, there's no struggle, there's no temptation, there's nothing that you will face in life that Jesus Christ did not face first, and that Jesus Christ did not win over. So when the scriptures tell us to consider Jesus, it makes all the sense in the world because of what he's done, because of what he's accomplished, because of, because of who he is. It's, it's unquestionable as a follower of Jesus Christ, that we would consider Jesus because he went before us. He faced the temptation that you're facing right now before you did. And he said no to it. He faced death before you did. And he resurrected the third day. He faced suffering before you did. And he didn't complain and he didn't murmur and he he did none of those things. It makes all the sense in the world that he tells us to consider him on the basis of all the things that he's accomplished. You're familiar with Proverbs three, five, and six. Some of the most, probably one of the most familiar proverbs that's in the scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, consider him. In all your ways, acknowledge him. In all of your ways, and in every aspect of your life, consider the Lord. Make him a part of every aspect of your life. In everything that we do, consider him. Follow him, listen to him, make him a part of that. And the Bible says, and he will make your path straight. Or he will direct your path, meaning meaning the same thing. It is to make the the consideration in this context, as well as in Proverbs, is to make Jesus a part of every uh, aspect of your life. When you fail, you recognize him. You recognize your failure. You recognize him as, as God the judge, and you confess and repent to him because he is the judge. When you succeed, you praise and adore him because he is the one who has brought forth the strength to succeed. When you're in need, you pray in dependence on him to give you whatever it is that you're needing. When you're in difficulty, you trust him and you uh, depend upon him for perseverance. It's, It's every aspect of life the Lord is to be a part of it. We should always be recognizing the Lord in every aspect of life, from failures to successes. It doesn't matter, the Lord has a place for us to come to him in all of those aspects of life. And so here in this context when he says to us to consider to consider Jesus what he's saying is is in every part of your life we're to we're to consider we're to meditate on we're to hold to the Lord. The word means to here and consider the word means to behold, to perceive, to observe fully. And intently to understand, to be attentive towards, to, to fix one's eyes upon, to watch. The scriptures tell us, if you go to the last part of this book in Hebrews 12, to, um, he says that, uh, um, I'm going to turn there because I want to read verses 1 and 2. He says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely or which, uh, which tries to make us stumble. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. So we, we run this race of life, the, the word endurance means with patience. Let us run with patience the race that is set before us. And, and as we run this race with patience, where are our eyes to be fixed? Our eyes are to be fixed on Jesus. It says, looking to Jesus. It means constantly considering Jesus, constantly watching Jesus, constantly focusing on Jesus. For he is the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God the Father. He's like, consider all of this as you as you journey through life, as you Go through life with struggles and difficulties and temptations and fears. As you go through all of those things, constantly keep your mind fixed on Jesus Christ. He is the one that can raise you up from the, from the complaining that comes along with murmuring. He's the one or that comes along with murmuring. That didn't make any sense at all. <laughs> from the complaining that comes with Struggling. The murmuring that comes with struggling, he's the one that can raise us up from that. He can raise us up from the stress and the discouragement and the despondency that comes with difficulties in life. The greatest fear that we face is the fear of death or the fear of how we're going to die. Jesus can raise us up from that fear. What he's saying to us is in every situation and in every circumstance of life, don't look to yourself, but keep your eyes fixed on Jesus. I was reading a commentary this week by John MacArthur, and he said this. He, he ran the 100-meter dash in, in college, and he said that his coaches would teach him that when that when that when that gun goes off and he begins to sprint down that line, he says that they tell us, keep your eye on the finish line. The whole way through, keep your eye on the finish line. And the same ideas here as we're walking through life, and it's not a sprint, is it? It's a, it's a marathon. But as we're running through life and we're facing difficulties and heartaches and the devil is throwing all of these stumbling blocks in our way and trying to defeat us and discourage us and, and tempt us, right? Anybody else got those things going on in your world? Yeah, it's like Jesus is the only way that we can rise up above those things. Here, here Peter is. He's out of the boat, and there's a huge storm, and he's, he's like walking on the water, right? I mean, that's like impossible, but that's what he's doing, and he's walking on the water. He's walking on the storms of life. He's walking on the difficulties of life. He's walking on temptation. He's walking on struggle. He's walking on challenges. He's, he's walking on these things. Why? Because his eyes are fixed on the Lord, but immediately, when he takes his eyes off the Lord, he begins to sink and he cries out to the Lord. Guess what happens when he begins to sink? Where does his eyes refix? His eyes refix right back on the Lord, don't they? Lord, help me. The Lord reaches down. The Lord hasn't forsaken him. The Lord is, no, is, not, is not distant from him, he's right there with him. He says, Lord, please help me. And the Lord is right there to raise him up and lift him back above those circumstances. I heard a sermon preached once that said one of the things that's often missed about Peter's walking on the water is that he walked on the water with the Lord back to the boat. We often miss the end of the story. And that's how the Lord works with us. We keep our eyes fixed on him and he brings us to where he wants us to be. In this passage of scripture, we see Jesus Christ is going to be compared to Moses. That's really the, the main emphasis of these six verses and, and really the rest of this chapter. The reason why the Lord is being compared to Moses, we, we talked about the last couple of weeks in chapter number two, is that the Lord is better than what? The Lord is better than angels, and angels are representation of systems, right? Okay, so so we face temptation, we face difficulties, we face death, and we, we create systems. Religious systems that help us feel comfortable or confident that we're we're okay. They make us feel safe, right? So what's happening in Hebrews is the Lord is removing anything and everything that could be a replacement for Jesus. He's taking taking all of these things that we would ultimately lean on other than leaning on Jesus Christ. And not not just for salvation, but, but for daily life, for functionality. So the Lord is removing all of these things. The first thing that he removes is any other word besides the word of God. Any extra biblical word is not fitting because Jesus is the word. Amen. Chapter number two, he removes the angels. Angels are not as significant as the Lord and angels are representation of spirituality. Okay, A lot of spiritual people today have angels everywhere, right? They, 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 that's the kind of a, a picture of spirituality. And he connects it to the Old Testament spirituality that came from obedience to rules and regulations. In this passage of Scripture, he's going to remove Moses. He's going to get Moses out of the way. And why is he going to get Moses out of the way? Because the, the Jewish people, obviously in the Old Testament, but as well continuing into the New Testament, find found him, and this is not... This study this morning is is in no way a slight on Moses. It's in no way meant to minimize Moses. It's no way meant to make Moses seem insignificant. As a matter of fact, the emphasis is on this. Moses is a great man, okay, but there's somebody who is greater than Moses. There's somebody who is more significant. There's somebody who is more powerful. There's somebody who is more worthy than Moses. That's kind of the way that the the text flows. It's not Moses is insignificant and Jesus is significant. It's Moses is significant and Jesus is more significant. Jesus brings about fulfillment of things that Moses was simply pointing to in the Old Testament. So we'll look at that here in just a few moments. This passage of Scripture is a comparison or a contrast between Jesus and Moses, or if we were going to to put it into modern-day vernacular, it would be a contrast between Jesus and spiritual leaders. Okay, Systems can get in the way of people following Jesus, but so can spiritual leaders. Spiritual leaders can get in the way of people following Jesus Christ. When when people come to us for counsel, for advice, for direction, we, we have a responsibility to always point them where? We have the responsibility of always pointing them to Jesus. When spiritual leaders become a substitute for Jesus or stand in the place of Jesus, they become an obstacle to accomplishing what the Lord wants to accomplish. So Moses stands as a picture. It's not a minimization of him, and it's not a minimization of spiritual leaders today. The scriptures tell us to obey, to listen to, to treasure the spiritual leaders that God has put into our lives. But the emphasis is, is don't ever let those spiritual leaders become an object of our worship. And don't ever let spiritual leaders become a replacement for Jesus Christ because truly, spiritual leaders are incapable, realistically, honestly. You guys know the spiritual leaders in this church well enough to know that we're incapable of changing your life. We are. We're incapable of changing our own lives. But Jesus is not. Jesus is very capable of changing and transforming your life. So so the contrast here in these six verses or the comparison is that Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is more significant than Moses. Jesus is more capable than Moses. And the reason why the author points this out is because there are people in this context of Scripture, and there are people that are living today who want to put men above Jesus or let me put it this way they want to put men equal with Jesus and there is no man who is equal with Jesus there is no man who is equal with Jesus and we need to know that, we need to see that, so that when we face difficulty, when we face heartache, when we face the need for salvation, we don't go to men to solve that issue, we go to Jesus Christ, who is the solution for every situation and every circumstance that life has to throw at us. He, he even tells us, well, I'll get ahead of myself a little bit here, Let, let's move on. I have three thoughts this morning I I want to just uh, work through with you in regards to these six verses number one is what dignified both Jesus and Moses what dignified Jesus and Moses both of them in in this passage of scripture there are several what what we would call similarities uh, things that are the same about both of them comments that are made throughout the text that that bring these two men together and what they have accomplished and and I, I pray this morning as we dive into this a little bit, that you have somewhat of an appreciation for who Moses was in the Old Testament and what he accomplished. He was Obviously, he was uh, considered a del- deliverer of God's people. He, he went into Egypt, and he uh, told Pharaoh to let God's people go. He, he was there during the 10 plagues. He communicated with Pharaoh in that process. He, uh, they then let the Israelites go. They wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Um, Moses is a huge part um, of the leadership that takes place over all of this time. Moses' uh, birth goes back to being born to a Hebrew family. Um, there's, a, there's a command that all babies will be killed, very similar to Jesus Christ when he was born, and they commanded that all the babies would be killed. Um, Moses is put into a little raft. Um, Pharaoh's daughter finds him. They bring him into Pharaoh's. Uh, Pharaoh takes them takes and protects the child, if you will, from this command, and then gives him back to Moses' family. They then raise him. Uh, Moses kills a man because he is in a conflict with another man, and, uh, and he's afraid, and he runs off into the wilderness. Um, he then gets a message from God. God, God speaks to Moses face to face, which is huge. Exodus tells us that. One of the most significant things about Moses is God spoke to him face to face, came, came to him and, 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 and spoke with him. We know out of the fiery bush, tells him to go back to Egypt and that he's going to be used to set God's people free. He's going to be used as a deliverer. And, um, and that whole process and that whole journey takes place. So, so there, there's some, some similarities here between Moses and Jesus. I want to look at these first to begin with. What dignified both Jesus and Moses? Number one is that they were both messengers. Uh, the scripture here is used uh, about Jesus in um, verse number one, where he's called the apostle and high priest of our confession. The apostle meant messenger, somebody who was sent to deliver a message. This was a, a delegate who... Communicated to the people for God. Okay, he was he was a. Uh, I don't want to say mediator because that goes the other direction. We'll look at that here in a moment. This was a messenger that God spoke to, and he was able to communicate that message to the people in the same way that in the Old Testament God would God would not speak to the people of Israel directly, but he would speak to Moses. And he would take Moses aside, he would speak to Moses, and he would say, here's a message that I want you to deliver to the people. Moses would take that message and deliver that message to the people. Jesus Christ did that same thing. Jesus Christ was sent from God, and John 1 tells us that he is the word um, that God communicated to us through him. We now have the written word in which God continues to this day to communicate to us through Christ. It doesn't ever end. Christ is always the means by which God communicates to his people. And Moses was that same means in the Old Testament. They were both to be honored for this. This term is apostle. It comes from the Greek word apostolos. It's used primarily to describe the apostles, the 12 apostles, who, who came and communicated God's message to the world, to the people. Both Moses and Jesus were the means by which God communicated his message to mankind, to us. They were both mediators. A mediator was somebody that did the opposite. This was the way that men communicated with God. In other words, somebody stood in the gap. Men, men could not go directly to God because of their sinfulness. And so what God did is he established what we know as a high priest. He uses that term here that he, Jesus was the apostle and the high priest. Now, Moses wasn't a priest in that sense, but Moses still was a mediator between God and the people. There were several occasions that the people wanted to communicate with God, so they would go to Moses, and then Moses would communicate with God on on behalf of the people. Jesus Christ also did this same thing. He was the means by which we communicate with God. Okay, Even to this day, Jesus Christ is the means by which we communicate with God. Right, Bible says in John 14, and verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father, right? No one can come to God the Father less through me. In other words, the only way that we're able to enter into God's presence and he's going to hear us is through Jesus Christ. It is in Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us in, in Hebrews 4 that because we have a high priest who has suffered and been tempted in all the ways like we are, we can now come boldly before the throne of grace. We can come boldly into the presence of God because we don't, we don't come to him based upon our own righteousnesses, but we come to him based upon the righteousnesses of Christ. He is our mediator. He's the one that stands between us and God and makes us acceptable before God. It is so important that we understand this truth because there there is no man who can mediate for us. There is one mediator between God and man, and that is the man, Christ Jesus. That's told to us in 1 Timothy 2 and verse number 5. They were both mediators they were both messengers. They were both faithful. The text tells us that Moses was faithful, serving in the Lord's house, as well as Jesus was faithful over the Lord's house. And this means that both of these men, Jesus and Moses, were trustworthy. They were reliable and they were dependable. Okay? Okay? There is a distinction here, but we're going to look at the distinctions here in a moment. But for right now, these are similarities between Jesus Christ and Moses. They were faithful men. The scriptures also tell us that they were both worthy of glory. They weren't worthy of the same glory, but they were both worthy of glory. You'll remember when Jesus Christ speaks to Moses on the mountain and he comes down with the commandments and after he comes down and deals with the people of Israel, he goes back up and gets them again. He comes back down. He has met with God, and he has to wear a veil over his face because his face shined with the glory of the Lord. They were both, Christ and Moses, were both worthy of glory. Different glory, but worthy of glory. Hebrews 1, just a few chapters to our left, tells us that Christ Jesus was the exact imprint of God. The exact imprint worthy of glory. The last thought in regards to what makes them dignified or what dignifies these two men is they both labored for God the Father. They both worked for God the Father. They both, according to the scriptures here, they both worked in the house of God. The word house here is not emphasizing a building The word house here is emphasizing a people. In other words, Moses was was called by God to minister deliverance to God's people, and Jesus Christ was sent into this world to minister deliverance to God's people. They had a similar mission, a similar ministry, and they both worked for and served the Lord. Even Jesus Christ, in the the act of submission, submitted himself to the Father. We live in a culture today that has done everything in their power to demonize the idea of submission. But Jesus Christ, God's only Son, was submissive to the Father, not as as an expression of being lesser than the Father, but as an expression of the value of submission. Submission. It's not, submission is not a minimizing thing. It is an equality of the Trinity and it is an expression of the greatness of submission that our Lord himself exemplified it for us. So what dignifies them? These things dignified them. What distinguished between Jesus and Moses? A few things that make them different. And we'll just go through them very quickly. Number one is their message. Moses' message was meant to prepare for and point people to Jesus Christ. We know of of Moses' message coming from Mount Sinai. We know of it as the law. God gave Moses the law, and he told Moses to come down and communicate the law to God's people. The purpose of communicating the law, remember this, the purpose of communicating the law was not to deliver God's people from their sins, the purpose of, God, of Moses communicating the law to his people was to identify the sinfulness of God's people. It was to expose God's people. It was for God's people to be moved away from self-righteousness, which came from their thoughts that they were good, and they were okay, and they were, they were right with God based upon their own merits. The law was meant to expose the fact that no man is good. When the rich man in in Matthew 19 talks about, uh, is there anybody that is good? He goes on and describes how he's kept the commandments. But the Lord says to him, there is no one who is good except for God. God gave Moses this message and the message was meant to expose mankind of its sinfulness, of its self-righteousness, of its view of itself that would ultimately hinder it from ever submitting to Christ. Christ. A self-righteous perspective will keep you from running to Jesus Christ for salvation. This is why the devil has done everything in his power in the 21st century to make us feel like we're okay. Because this is the mindset that will keep us from running to a savior, a deliverer. So he gives us the law, and the purpose of the law is to expose us as being sinful and sinners. Romans 3 and verse 19, the Bible says that the law was given so that all of the world might become guilty before God. That's the purpose of the law, that all of the world might stand guilty before God. This doesn't sound like a message of deliverance to me, but it is a message of deliverance from self-righteousness. It was needful for there to be a true Savior That man be first seen as sinful. The law was sent to expose man's sinfulness. The law was sent to expose the fact that man can do nothing about his sinfulness. It's not just the exposure of man's sin through the law, but there were a lot of ceremonial things that they had to do on a regular basis that they could never do them perfectly. And this was a sign that although God requires all of these things to be done in the Old Testament, man was incapable of satisfying all of those things that God required. The the law that Moses brought did not only expose our sins, but it exposed our inability to do anything about our sins. Again, we're pointed to the fact that Jesus is the only one capable of changing us. He's the only one capable of saving us. And the, the law exposes that. What we've done again in the 21st century is we've, we've minimized all of the requirements of God so that we feel like we can do it. The law was not meant for you to feel like you can do it. The law was meant for you to feel like you can't do it. But you know the great thing about that is is Jesus Christ did do it on our behalf. There is none who can accomplish the righteous commandments of God. And then Moses' message was one of deliverance, not from sin, but from self-righteousness. From a view of self that was an unbiblical view of self. From a view of self that felt like it was okay. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3 and 10, for all who rely on works of the law are under the curse for it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law And do them. If we're dependent on anything that we do to to become in favor with God, the scriptures tell us we must be perfect in obedience to all of God's laws. This is why we depend upon Christ. His message was different. Jesus's message, Moses' message was meant to point us to Christ. Jesus' message was meant to accomplish what Moses' message said was impossible. Jesus' message was meant to accomplish what Moses' message said was impossible. Moses said, all men are sinners and men can do nothing about it. And Jesus Christ came from heaven as God the Son. He took fully on human form and he accomplished the very things that Moses said could not be accomplished. And he accomplished those things for us. And he accomplishes those things in us today. Jesus' message is a message of grace. It is a message that says Jesus died for our sins. Jesus sent his spirit of righteousness to live within us. And Jesus has delivered us from our sins. This is the message of Christ. It is the message of deliverance. It is the message of hope. Moses' message was a message of hopelessness. Jesus' message is a message of hope. 2 Corinthians 5.21, For our sake, he made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Their message is distinctly different. Their power is distinctly different. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on that. As a matter of fact, you can see on my notes, it's handwritten. I was sitting in my office this morning and I'm like, this is another message. Truth, that needs to be in this message. Their power is different. In other words, Moses could not impact or change an individual's life. Moses could not accomplish or, or expect to be accomplished what he commanded. Jesus Christ both accomplished what he commanded and expects it to be accomplished because he accomplishes it through us. The power of, of Christ is distinct from the power of Moses. The results of Christ are distinct from the results of Moses. Moses' results were physical and earthly. Moses' results were all negative. Moses' law resulted in guilt. It resulted in hopelessness, condemnation, indignation, punishment, and God's wrath. Moses' message said that... Moses' message gave strong proof that we are deserving of God's wrath and destruction. Moses' message pushed people into greater sin. The Bible says in Romans 7 and verse 8 that when the law was given, it awakened sinfulness inside of us. You guys, if, you've got, if you have kids, you've seen that before. A kid can walk through a room and not notice anything, but once you say, don't touch that, they'll notice that. <laughs> you know what? The law awakened all type of sinfulness in them. Moses' message awakened all type of sinfulness in us. Why? So that we would run to Jesus, who is the one who can deliver us from our sins. Amen. Listen to what he says about Jesus' message. Jesus' message resulted in his results were heavenly, they were divine, they were celestial, they were all positive hope, peace, forgiveness, righteousness, kindness, and favor. Jesus Christ's message brought hope to a broken and sinful humanity. In 1 Timothy 1.15, the Bible says, and this is a trustworthy saying, and it is worthy of all acceptance that Christ Jesus came into this world to save sinners of whom I am foremost. This is what Jesus is able to accomplish. Look at what he says in verse number one. He says two very important words. He says, therefore, holy brothers who have a heavenly calling... He's taking these men and he's making them, he is making us holy. Jesus Christ is taking unholy men and making them holy. Jesus Christ is taking earthly men and making them heavenly. That's what he can do. That's what he's capable of. He takes us and he changes us. He transforms us. He makes us saintly. He makes us like Christ. And he does it by his own power and by his own indwelling strength. It is his presence in us, not our strength. And he makes us heavenly. They're different in their results. They're different in their significance. You'll notice in the text that there's a reference to worship, both being worthy of worship. But let's look at it. What's the difference? Moses' worth was based upon the fact that he was a servant. He served us as a servant. He served God's people as a servant. This word means it's not the idea of slave servant, but the idea of a free servant, a, a dignified or a, a blessed servant. Moses was in God's house working for God's people. Huge dignif- dignification there. To be able to serve the Lord as a servant is dignity, it's huge. It's like the son who comes home, the prodigal son who comes home, and he says to his father, make me one of your servants. It's it's significant to be a servant of God. But listen to me, it's not as significant as being a son. Moses was working in God's house. Moses was a messenger and mediator for the Lord. Moses spoke to the Lord face to face. Moses was worthy of a great deal of glory He was worthy of worship, not in an unhealthy sense, but worthy of praise for what he has accomplished for the Lord. Jesus is significant. Jesus is way more significant. If Moses is significant as a servant in the house, Jesus is significant as the builder of the house. That's what he says here. Here's your servant in the house, significant, but here's the one who built the house. Way more significant. Jesus is the builder of the house. He is the creator, according to Colossians one eighteen and nineteen. He is the creator and the sustainer of all things, according to Hebrews twelve and verse two. He is the author and, and finisher of our faith. Jesus Christ is significant because he is the cause of all of these things. We look around, and we—I I, heard—I heard. I was reading this week about just studying for this this sermon this morning and was talking about an athlete who people praised and honored and he was sitting there and and he was sitting there, they were praising him and praising him and there was someone sitting next to them who who was his trainer. And they, they made the comparison that how much greater the trainer is over the one who is greatly performing and in the same sense, how much greater is our God? The one who has created all of this Than we are who get to serve in it. Our our world is great. Look around you and see all of the beauty and splendor of our world. But listen how much greater is our God who created it? Jesus is greater as the builder of the house, Jesus is greater as the son. Jesus Christ did not serve the Father as a servant. He served the Father as a son. This elevates him to a whole new level. The things that Jesus Christ accomplished are things that a servant would accomplish. It took an amazing submission, humility on Jesus' part to do the things that a servant would do. This elevates him. It doesn't demean him. This maximizes him, not minimizes him. Jesus Christ served the Father as a Son. He died on the cross, not as a servant, but as a Son of God. He was the Son of God. He was God the Son. He was full heir and had full rights over all things. He was a willing laborer, not forced against his will. John 10 and verse 18 says, No one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have the authority to lay it down, and I have the authority to take it up again. Again. Jesus Christ was a a son who willingly laid down his life for our sins. 2 Corinthians 8-9, For we know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, that you through his poverty might be made rich. Let's finish this morning with what defines God's people. He says at the very end, and we are his house Again, the word house here is describing a people. Here is the, the message of who is Jesus Christ more significant for? In other words, these truths are all great for a specific people. They're not all great for everyone, but they're great for a specific people. Who are they great for? They're great for his house, they're great for his people, they're great for those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ and have embraced what he has done. These messages are great for those people. Who are those people? Well, he says it here. If indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. It is those who have placed their faith in Jesus Christ, those who have embraced him, those who have clung to him for deliverance and salvation, those who cling to him each and every day for help, for forgiveness, for for direction, for guidance, those who are followers of Jesus. These are the ones that are beneficiaries of Jesus being better. People today still embrace the law as being the means by which they're going to come into favor with God, but they're not. It is those who embrace Christ that are going to have favor with God because it is Christ who has favor with God and no one else. And those who are in him have favor with God because of him. You see, here's the key. We are favored with God because we are clinging to Christ. We are clinging to him. And those who are clinging to Christ, the Bible says, these are the ones that are a part of his household. Let me ask you this morning, are you clinging to Christ? When you think of your sinfulness and you think of your fallenness and you think of your failures, do you think of how can I fix this? How can I, how can I develop a plan or a way to, to come out of this? Or do you run to Jesus? Is he your deliverance? Is, is he your help? Because, my friends, this is, he, first of all, is the only one who can bring that deliverance. But he brings that deliverance to those who embrace him. Not only do they cling to Christ, but he uses the word confident here. Those who are confident in Christ to the point of being boastful. And then those who are hopeful in Christ. In other words, those who are anticipating or expecting Christ to do something. Listen, not everybody gets to benefit from Christ. Not everybody gets to enjoy what Christ has accomplished. But those who embrace him, those who cling to him by faith, those who trust him, place their life in his hands, the Bible says that he will never fail them. He tells us in Romans 10 and verse 11, for the scripture says everyone who believes or trusts in him will will never be ashamed. My challenge to you this morning is, if you're not clinging to Jesus, whatever you're going through in life, whether it's temptation, whether it's suffering, or whether you're facing the idea of death, maybe not physical death, but maybe you're facing the death of your emotions or some of your morals or whatever might be the case, listen to me, Jesus is the only answer. Jesus is the only answer. No system and no man will be able to deliver you from what you need deliverance from but Jesus Christ can and he's proven it matter of fact he's the only one who was proven worthy of your trust of your following let's pray together Father thank you for all that you did for us in Christ and I pray that you would give us the hearts to follow him the minds to follow him, the submissive submission that we need, Lord God, to follow him. We pray that you'd bless us the remainder of our service, Lord God. And as we honor you through the Lord's Supper as well as um, other activities, we pray that you'd be with us in those things in Jesus Christ's name. Amen.